Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 84 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is James Shaw. James teaches, writes, and consults on Agile development processes. He is a recipient of the Agile Alliance Gordon Pask Award for contributions to Agile practice, co-creator of the Agile Fluency Model, and co-author of The Art of Agile Development. James has also been named as one of the most influential people in Agile by InfoQ. So James, can you expand on that brief introduction and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. My background is as a programmer, and I got started with Agile back in 1999 when I was asked to lead a team of people and was looking into different ways of working on that project and ran across something called feature-driven development. One of the people on that team asked me if I'd heard of extreme programming, and my reaction was, extreme what? (laughs) Yeah. That is a very silly name. And they said, yeah, there's this thing called the wiki wiki web. And I said, the wiki what? And uh, (laughs) where they're talking about it and we should try. And I said, well, that sounds silly. And we were doing this other thing. So no, we've already, you know, we've already gotten started. But then I checked it out. And of course, the wiki wiki web was Ward Cunningham's original wiki. Uh, It's the inspiration for Wikipedia and other amazing tools. And it's where a lot of very innovative conversations were happening about software development. And I was fascinated and I thought it was, I still thought some of the ideas were silly, but I decided to give them a try because I thought the people involved were were smart people. And I tried it and it worked and I was hooked. And so when that company brought me back to do some more work, I asked them if we could try extreme programming. They said, yes, I did it. And then when that contract ended, I couldn't find anybody else who was doing it, and I wasn't willing to work any other way anymore. And so I started teaching people how to do it. And that's how I became an Agile consultant nearly 20 years ago now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people probably don't realize quite how long Agile has actually been around. I think that's that's quite interesting. Yeah. It's been around for about 20 years, 21 years, depending on how you look at it. But I'd say it hasn't really been in the mainstream for that long. it's I'd say it really hit the mainstream around 2005, 2006, maybe in the last 10 to 15 years or so. Yeah. And it still seems to be something that's gathering pace. It's not slowing down. Absolutely. Well, a lot of what people call Agile is is not really Agile, unfortunately. So the name has gathered a lot of pace. <laughs> the actual implementation uh, tends to vary in quality by quite a bit. James, can you maybe share a unique career tip that the IT Career Energizer audience need to know and perhaps don't? I would say that one of the most valuable things that you can do for your career is to make a point of understanding the business impact of what you're doing. Let me give an example of that. A typical software team costs about a million dollars a year, give or take. Uh, 750000 maybe one and a quarter million. That's how much a team typically costs per year. That's the cost of the team. So the value that the team is providing to their company should be substantially more than that. Otherwise, 
you know, <laughs> they shouldn't be there. So a 5% improvement on that team is worth at least $50,000 per team per year. So anything you can do to decrease defects by 5%, that's automatic $50,000 at least. Anything you can do to decrease maintenance costs by 5%, 50,000. Not 5% overall, but 5% for the whole team, another 50,000. There's all kinds of bits and pieces hanging out there that People will say no if you ask for it, but if you can explain the business rationale for it, then they'll say yes. But you have to know to look for that business impact. So learn how to do that. That's my tip. So James, can you maybe share with us the story of your worst IT career moments and what you learned from that experience? <laughs> yeah. Boy, that's uh, that brings back not so great memories. It was about 20 years ago, and I was working with a company that did robotic automation for chip fabs like Intel that producing computer chips. They use robots to move the silicone around so it it because it can't be touched by human hands. And so this company did factory automation robots for those kinds of places. And I'd always been fascinated by how software can be developed effectively. And the best practices at the time in the mid 90s, the best practices was what people now call waterfall or phase gate development. And I had books that showed these, you know, these very complex charts showing this is exactly how software did on. They, they spoke very confidently that if you just do it this way, that everything will work out well. And up until that point, every software project that I've been on had, had gone less than perfectly, but they, none of them had done it really by the book. And this company was doing waterfall by the book. We'd hired a consultant. We were doing use cases. We had a giant large format plotter that we could use to print out architectural diagrams, which we hung up all over the walls. We used a tool called Rational Rows, which was case tool, a computer-assisted software engineering tool, which was all the rage at that point. We did waterfall harder than anybody had ever done it before. And it was an absolute disaster. It was just terrible. We got to the end of that project course, doing it the waterfall way, we had done all of our design and then we'd done all of implementation. And now finally, we we're going to hook it all up together. And we hooked it all up. This was a distributed system with multiple services running on different computers and they didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they worked sort of each individual piece work. They didn't work together. And I think there's a lesson for this in the microservices movement, but they didn't work together or rather they didn't work together in a way that was performant. And we spent two weeks trying to solve this problem. The personalities on that project, everybody was stressed out. People would yell at each other. It was quite simply the worst project I'd ever been on. And that was the project made me realize that all these books that were written with such confidence, I suspect that nobody who wrote those books had ever actually done it the way they were writing. You should do it. Yeah. It, it doesn't make me wonder if the way what we now term waterfall sort of evolved from maybe more of an engineering perspective. And we just tried to apply that to something else we consider to be similar. I mean, I think it's reflective of the fact that this is such a new industry still. Absolutely. Well, back at that point, there was a lot of what I would call career envy and all the software developers, they just didn't feel like they were really professional and it would be better if it was like architecture or construction or engineering. And so they tried to emulate these other fields, which have completely different constraints than we do. Yes, absolutely. The original paper that 
sort of diagrams waterfall, I think it was by Rourke, perhaps, it uses it as a straw man to say, of course, you would never do it this way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it actually says what you should do is loop back and iterate as you go, because you can't possibly predict everything in advance. But the the simplistic easy idea that we could figure out all of our requirements in advance and then lock them down and figure out all our design and do everything in advance and lock it down and never check it until the very end uh, with something called the validation V, which was also yep, a disaster. I remember that one. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, it says the biggest decisions have to be checked at the very, very end. Yep. And wow, that was not a good idea. <laughs> So moving away from your worst IT career moment, can you maybe tell us about your IT career highlight or greatest success? One that I'm proud of, a couple of years ago, so I work as an agile software development consultant now, and I'm part of a, a, the Agile Fluency Project. And a couple of years ago, I was hired by a startup that had been really successful, grown quite a bit, gone public, and they had 40 teams, and they were experiencing growing pains. So they had poor visibility into what their teams were working on and everything was taking forever because there was a lot of dependencies between teams. Uh, in order to get anything done, teams would have to wait on other teams who would wait on other teams. They estimated that they were seeing delays of 70 to 80% of their lead time. So lead time is the time from when you start working on something to when you deliver it in a completed state. They were estimating that 70 to 80% of that time was just waiting for other people to give them stuff due to you know delays of some sort. And they thought that they could reduce it down to 30% delay, which would mean that a project that was taking them 100 days would now take 43 days, which is a nice improvement. Yeah. So we got into that and we I did some value stream mapping to see where the actual delay was in their project. And it was amazing. It was something like 95% delay. I don't remember the details off the top of my head now, but one of the projects we mapped out, I think it was three months of work or three months of time to deliver, three months of lead time. And you know there was two days of work and then several weeks of delay and then another couple of days and maybe only a couple of weeks of work or maybe even three or four days of work in that entire three-month period. So about 95% delay because there were so many projects being worked on in parallel to try to deal with the fact that there was a lot of delay, which even introduced more delays. Yes, <laughs> because of a bit of a vicious cycle, doesn't it? It does, it does. Because when you've got delay, you've got to choose something else, but now you're multitasking and that's really terrible for focus and people are waiting for you. So that compounds. So we focused them down to work on one minimum marketable feature at a time. A minimum marketable feature is the smallest thing that you can ship that has value or the smallest thing that has value to the company in some way. Shipping isn't the only way that brings value. And we also organized the teams to minimize the cross-team dependencies. So teams could be autonomous and solve problems themselves. Or if they couldn't solve problems themselves, the job of the teams they were depending on was to create autonomy in their client teams so that they it was never a situation where you had to ask for something and wait for them to deliver it before you could finish your work. And so we went from 95% delay. For most teams, we got it down to zero delay, no delay at all. And they're able to take on an MMF, work on it, deliver it. They just focus on that until it's done. And most MMFs are completed in a week or two. And yeah, I'm really happy with, with that result. It was a, and they also have much, much better visibility into their work now. 
Sure. I mean, that, that must have been quite a cultural change for them. And, and, and the way they think, the mindset must have been something completely different. So that's quick change. Yeah, well, it took us about the, the one or two weeks is how long it takes them now, but it was a lot of work. We've probably spent four or five months on preparing the organization. You're right. It's a big cultural mindset change and making that sort of change requires making sure that everybody's involved and understands how they benefit from this change. And then even then, after I was done, it took them probably another six months after that for it to really shake out. And um, it's only now a couple of years later that they're really ready to take on the next big thing in terms of organizational changes. So James, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? Well, you've probably heard you've probably heard people say that software is eating the world. And that that is exciting because it's a growth industry. As a software developer, there will always be a place for you. There's all kinds of cutting edge startups, but not just that. There's established firms and every single company of any size whatsoever needs software. Anybody that's that's larger than tiny needs custom software. So there's lots and lots of stuff to do, lots of options out there. But even better than that is it's a young industry. It's open to new ideas and ways of working. We talked about how Agile barely existed 20 years ago. Yeah, The known best practices at the time were was Waterfall, which is basically the exact opposite of Agile. And now, 20 years later, Agile has taken over the world in name, if not in practice <laughs> entirely yet. Yes. That's because a bunch of people, and I was I was lucky to be among that group, pushed really hard, said this is actually better, and they were able to com- do a complete 180 in the industry. That is something that be, would be really hard to do in a more established industry. So it's a young industry in terms of its mindset. It's open to new ideas and ways of working. And there's a lot of opportunity there, and a lot of exciting opportunities for people who have exciting new ideas to pursue them and succeed with them. Yes, as you say, I think there's always something else coming. Um, and of course, there'll probably be some new delivery methodology that will come along and supersede Agile in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the downside of this is that you do have, uh, especially in communities like the JavaScript community, sort of the shiny object syndrome where people pick something up for three months, then put it down and pick up the next thing. So there is a downside to it, but I will take that cost for the opportunity to be in an environment where you can suggest new ideas and see people try them out and see them stick if they work. We're going to move into the reveal round now and find out a little bit more about you. Are you ready for this? Absolutely. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? I'm always fascinated by intricate machinery and computers are the ultimate machines. What is the best career advice you've ever received? Be well-rounded. And if you were to begin your IT career again right now, what would you do? I'd focused on networking and finding a mentor. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? I've got my business, the Agile Fluency Project, and I'm really focused on that these days. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Curiosity, flexibility, and a desire and willingness to experiment. Okay. So James, can you maybe share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career and Agile audience? One of my favorite pieces of advice I heard from Martin Fowler, which is change your organization or change your organization. And what he meant by that is if you're working in a place that's not allowing you to do your best work, 
change your organization from within. But if you can't do that, and a lot of bigger organizations, it's hard, then change your organization by moving on to a place where you can. But don't put up with mediocrity. Don't put up with a lousy work environment just because it's got a great salary or high, uh, or it's good for your resume. Look for places that you can do great work and feel proud of your work and enjoy the people you're working with. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? Most of my work these days is on the Agile Fluency Project at agilefluency.org. You can also find my blog and some of my personal writings about technology on my personal website, which is jameshore.com. I also want to suggest for anybody who's interested in Agile and learning more about how Agile can really be better than slapping a name on the door, uh, to check out the Agile Fluency white paper, which you can find on Martin Fowler's website, but the easiest way to get there is to go to agilefluency.org, scroll down and find the read the white paper uh, link. James, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks very much. As always, my thanks go to my guest on today's show. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e and then the number of today's episode. I also want to thank you for your continued support. It's always great to hear from listeners, particularly when they have suggestions about potential guests or ways to improve the show. And this was one of the reasons for creating the new IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. I'm really excited about taking the podcast forward, and I hope that you'll continue to support and listen to the show as it continues to change and evolve. Thanks for listening, and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.